Welcome to Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time, where we aim to break down barriers, demystify blindness, and promote real and lasting change. Join host David Steinmetz as he connects us with professionals who are making a positive impact in the community. These leaders help empower individuals who are blind or have other disabilities to live a full and inclusive life. Let's lean in as David kicks off today's conversation. Good afternoon. Welcome to this episode of Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time. I'm your host, David Steinmetz, and my show really is about dealing with uh, the perception of blindness. And when we are faced with something that is unfamiliar to us, we typically rely on social cultural norms. We rely on our family values as well as our past experiences. When those expectations are are unknown to us, it makes it very hard to make a decision. We often find that to be true when dealing with somebody who is blind or visually impaired. The outcome is typically for uh, low expectations or soaring unemployment rate among people who are blind because typically hiring managers or general population has not had the opportunity to engage with and uh, meet someone who is blind or visually impaired. So my show is really about uh, demystifying blindness, breaking down barriers, and creating a full and inclusion opportunities for people who are blind and visually impaired. I'm really excited about my show today. I have uh, Mr. Ron Brooks. Ron and I have been friends for quite some time and, and participated in various different organizations uh, throughout our, our friendship. And Ron is a writer, he's a speaker, an entrepreneur, as well as uh, a person who has really dedicated his life to uh, improving and transforming mobility for people with disabilities. So Ron, welcome to uh, Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time. Please give us a little more information about your background. Well, thank you for having me, David. It's great to be here. I am a resident of Phoenix, live here with my wife. We have three kids. Uh, They are growing up, moving off to college. And I've spent about 29 years in the public transit industry working on the issues of accessible transportation for people with disabilities and also on paratransit, which is the door-to-door service that some folks with disabilities need to travel back and forth between places like work, school, recreation, medical appointments, shopping, all the places that other people uh, typically go. About a year and a half ago, actually it's been about two years ago now, I created a business called Accessible Avenue that is focused on transforming mobility for people uh, who have disabilities. And the goal that I have, and I know we'll dive more into this, is to make transportation a logistical issue rather than an issue of access and accessibility. And, And what I mean by that is people who don't have disabilities, or let's say people who are able to drive a car, even people who are able to use public transit, bus, rail, you know, those sorts of things. Transportation is usually pretty simple. You make a decision and you go. You go where you need to go. You do what you need to do. Transportation doesn't take a lot of thought or effort. My goal is to make transportation like that 
for people with disabilities so that it itself is not the barrier uh, to their participation in all of the things that we all love and want and need to do from time to time, like work. Excellent. Thank you um, for that, Ron, and that, that introduction of yourself. I agree with you. We find typically, um, especially in terms of employment, uh, when we're talking about moving the needle on unemployment, is barriers to that. So we talk about perception at the beginning of the show. We talk about accessibility, whether it's to printed or electronic information. And then I think my, I believe the, the other key indicator or barrier is transportation. So finding a, a solution, uh, as you put it, a logistical solution that helps people who uh, are looking to uh, get to and from work or even just to the grocery store taking care of yourself independent living uh, is really crucial to that inclusion in the community. So, so thank you for bringing that on. So you mentioned uh, that, that you've been in the transit in- industry for, for quite a while, almost 30 years. Why transit? Why, why did you get into that field? It's a great question. And for a long time, I had no answer. So this is kind of funny. Within the transit industry, at conferences, at lunch tables, within transit agencies or, or locations where people provide some aspect of transit, a, a lot of people will sit around and go, how did you get into transit? And the most common answer is, I have no idea. It was an accident. And that was me. I really had no idea how it happened. When I started my college career, I was going to be uh, a professor. I was going to work in the area of international relations or maybe working for the U.S. government, like doing foreign relations work. And somewhere along the way, I got got distracted, got sidetracked, ended up working in transit, and I didn't know what happened. What I came to understand much later, and when I say much later, I mean literally Memorial Day 2020, sitting in my house as we were all in lockdown, it occurred to me that this was a logical place for me to end up. And I started thinking back to when I was five, and I was sitting on my bed as a kindergartner, and I could see a little bit back then. I had low vision at that time, reading a book about going to the moon. It was 1972, and Everybody was talking about Apollo and about Skylab. And I remember reading this book every day, You Will Go to the Moon. And it talked about going to the moon. And I wanted to be an astronaut. I loved motion. I loved going fast. I loved flying. And I knew that that might not happen. So then it was, well, I'll be a pilot. There's a lot of pilots, a lot of airplanes. So that was my interest. Hmm. But that didn't happen either. So I think. Ultimately, I've always loved motion. I've always loved movement. I've always loved going places. So that was pretty logical. And I think what happened is I was in college in San Francisco, uh, at San Francisco State, studying international relations in a master's program. And I was really struggling with the transportation. This is back in the early 90s. Things weren't as good then as they are now. And we still have a ways to go. So they were, that was further back on that trajectory. I was struggling with transportation. It was a pain point every day. So I got involved in a group of citizens who advised, um, aka complained, to the Mm -hmm. local transit agency about transit and about 
how it didn't meet my needs as a person who was blind. I got involved as a volunteer, learned about how the industry wanted to work and how it was trying to work. And I realized that I had skill and interest that could help. So I volunteered. When they heard my ideas and they saw that I had valuable skills, they gave me an opportunity as an entry-level planner. I got into the industry and I just kept going. And so I don't think it was an accident at all. I think it was because of my love of transportation and the fact that it was personal for me, both in terms of my own needs and also those of people that I was coming to know and, and recognizing that they had you know, folks with disabilities had all the same needs and all the same challenges that I did. And I wanted to try to solve for that. Very interesting. So when we, when we talk about the, the areas in focus that, that you're talking about in terms of uh, transportation or transit and the difference between public transportation, as you mentioned, whether it's uh, a bus, right? Because especially here in Phoenix, there, I know there's a lot of people that utilize public transportation um, to get from the outer lying cities into downtown to avoid having to sit in traffic or, you know, get, you know especially nowadays with, with gas prices being what they are. So they'll use public transportation uh, and uh, buses to be, or van pools or some other form of uh, transportation versus just getting in the car and driving. Have you, but I think uh, what you're talking about is really more of a uh, alternative type of transportation for people with disabilities, or is it in general for for the betterment yeah. of all? So I've worked in both. I mean, my mission is, my, my specific goal is to really help make transportation better for people with disabilities. That There are really two goals. Uh, the first goal is the regular, quote, transportation system. So bus, light rail, trains, Maybe it's some of the new services that are cropping up that are, they call them microtransit, but they're on-demand shuttles that you summon on an app and you go meet it and it takes you to the train station or you know, something like that. So mm -hmm. uh, those services are largely accessible now. And to the extent that people with disabilities, including blind people, are able to use those services I, I want to see people be able to use them because when we design something for everybody, it's going to typically be designed better than if we are designing something for just a small group of people. Now, there are some folks who need service, which is, which is really customized. Call it, we call it paratransit in the industry. It's also called dial-a-ride. It goes by different names. Those services, in my opinion, need to be phenomenally good, just like all the other services, because mm -hmm. the people who need those services have the same reasons to be on time, to get places efficiently, to get places in comfort. Tr transportation should not be so stressful and so stress-inducing that by the time you get where you intended to go, you're ready to go home because you're tired and stressed <laughs> out. Transportation sure. should be something that takes very little energy and effort to use. My goal is to make sure that as the industry creates products, technologies, and services, whether they're for the general public or specifically for people with disabilities, that they are able to be used by people with disabilities 
and that they are able to be used in a way that doesn't leave people exhausted, stressed out, and frustrated. Very good. Very That's so important, right? Um, just as you're talking, the, the mental strain uh, and of transportation or transit um, and having to work so hard. Uh, yeah. you know, is it going to show up on time? Uh, am I going to get to work on time? Am I going to be stranded somewhere? Yep. Um, can I uh, find the location that I'm supposed to be going to? Am I going to get dropped yep. off in the right place? All, all very real scenarios that uh, people with disabilities uh, are face on a daily basis. Can I well, even get on that bus or van or, or whatever if you're a wheelchair user, for example, or, or other disability that you have to uh, be able to, you know, access that, that tra- mode of transportation. And from a business owner's perspective, when we hire people, and I've, I've been, I've had employees, we want people to be at work on time. We want them to be ready to work. We want them to be fresh. We want them to be productive. And when transportation isn't reliable, when it's not comfortable, when it's not efficient, people get to work disheveled, emotionally not where they need to be to do the job. Mm-hmm. So there's an, there's a payoff that goes beyond just getting people there so they can show up and clock in and do work. The payoff is having people that are engaged, motivated, and ready to work. So when I think about my job and the job of my industry, it's to, it's to get people where they need to go not just so that they got there. I mean, that's great, right? but we want to get them there so they can actually do what it was they went there to do in the first place. Wow. Yeah. So, so true. And so impactful. Thank you. And so you went out and you mentioned in your intro, uh, you spent a long time in, in, in the industry, uh, working in, in public and as well as, as private sector. So, you branched out on your own. Why and, and and why now? It's a great question. So I had worked for a long time for a number of organizations, public and private. And one of the things that I noticed working for other organizations is I had all these ideas for making service better, for designing things better, for doing things differently. I was successful sometimes in getting those things implemented, and sometimes I was not. I always felt like there was more that I could do if I, if I could just make certain decisions differently, but I wasn't in charge. Other folks had said, hey, you know, you should think about being a consultant someday. You should think about helping the industry on a bigger scale because you're stuck over here doing one thing and you have ideas that would benefit us over here doing something else. So I, I had thought about that, and I was always afraid to do it. I was afraid of not understanding how to go out and create a business, create a business plan, find money, do all the things that you have to do when you have a business, uh, get insurance, all the different things. Mm-hmm. So, so that was all background. I was working for a company in 2019, I started working for a, a private company that is developing on-demand paratransit, which up until recently, paratransit basically meant calling in advance, like a day in advance at least, requesting a trip, 
waiting for some period of time for a vehicle to show up that would pick you up along with lots of other people and drop you off. And it always sort of felt inefficient and unproductive and it took forever. This company was building on demand. Basically imagine a service that's that's designed for people with disabilities that you use an app or call and a vehicle comes, picks you up and takes you where you want to go in real time, almost like using a rideshare service like Mm -hmm. Uber or Lyft. So a company hired me to work on that. And and I was going to lead the effort to launch this product across North America. And then March 11th happened, and I'm Mm -hmm. on a plane flying back from Tampa with my daughter, and they canceled the basketball season because of this thing called Corona. And I'm like, oh, no, this Mm -hmm. is bad. And it hammered the transportation industry. Uh, It knocked revenues down. Lots of people were not able to continue to be employed. And the company that I was working for pivoted out of transportation because it was a really bad place to be. So I was I was free. I had time on my hands and nothing to do. And I thought, you know, it's time to go back to that consulting conversation. <laughs> and it was a good time. It was a perfect mm-hmm. time to start a business. I had lots of time on my hands. So I, I did all those things that were too scary up to that point and launched Successful Avenue so that I could do the thing that people had said, hey, you should do this. And so that's really how I got there. Wow, fantastic. Sometimes you that opportunity, that saying, uh, when, when one door closes, another one opens and, and uh, really kind of gives you that, that faith to say, you know, this is you know, the, the right time and to step out there and, and put yourself out there. Starting a, a business during uh, COVID and, and or really at any time can be a, a scary and a big challenge. As an entrepreneur, what do you think is, has been your biggest challenges? And on the other side, really, what is the most rewarding part of being an entrepreneur and starting and, and what things that you've done so far? So I think I thought the biggest challenge would be finding work. And it's a challenge, the, but the biggest challenge has been learning the mindset and really adopting the mindset that that goes with entrepreneurship. When you're an employee, you can leave it at work. And even if you care deeply and you're a workaholic and you take work home and you work on weekends, you still have the ability, it's still somebody else's responsibility. At the end of the day, you can walk away and the business either goes or it doesn't go and it's not really your problem. You collect your paycheck, you collect your benefits and you move on. Learning the mindset that every bit of effort that I put in will result in something. That was the mindset. That that was the thing that I had to understand. And, and I had a good feel for that. But it was really learning how to connect direct directly connect my mm-hmm. effort to the result and recognizing that if I didn't put in the effort, I wouldn't get the result. And recognizing that 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 means different things. It means that I it doesn't matter when <laughs> the work is. If the work needs to get done, you do it. So I think that was that was the big thing. And and that's also the result because the or the reward 
when I started building the business early, I had absolutely nothing. I mean, I didn't have a business plan. I remember sitting at the table at my, in my kitchen and being on the Maricopa County, um, I forget which department it is, but being on the website, creating my, uh, my business license. I mean, that's where it started. Everything that got created, I had to do it. There were times when I didn't know how to proceed next. Learning how to do that and seeing the results that are directly connected to effort. And every good period that I've had since then where the money has come in, I can directly connect it to very specific things like getting up on time, sitting at the computer, not getting distracted by LinkedIn, doing work, reaching out, calling people, following up, putting in work, invoicing on time. Those, those activities lead directly to results in the form of revenue. And seeing that connection was the reward because what it allowed me to do is it allowed me to make what seemed very mysterious and confusing, not mysterious or confusing at all. There is a direct relationship to the work you put in and the, and the results you get out. And that has been powerful because it, mm-hmm. because it's actually true in every area of your life. It, I've found that I'm eating better for the very same reason, because now I understand if you eat well and if you exercise, you're healthy. And I mean, I knew that intellectually. I've always known it. Right, right. But when you see it again and again and again, it teaches you to start thinking that way about everything that you do. It also teaches you to parent that way. And it's affected how I parent. So I would say that's probably the biggest thing that I've gained. Wow, it's really uh, amazing. You know, almost like a, you know, a, a transformation, right? From in, in mindset uh, and body and, and just, you know, your entire life is not just uh, being able to get up in the morning, go to work and, and do the things you got to do uh, to basically check off your, your task list for the day uh, and, and go home and uh, finish whatever you got to finish the next day. As, as an entrepreneur, that, that reality changes uh, and the level of effort, as you're saying, is the level of effort you put out is what you're going to get back from that. It's a lot. Yeah. When you think about, I own it, mm-hmm. it's a lot different than I'm working for someone else and it's their, their dream, their goals, their money, their facilities, their equipment. I, I just work there and I get a check. There's not a sense of ownership. I mean, some people, some people have a sense of ownership just because they're people who care. And I, mm-hmm. and I was one of those people, mm-hmm. but now I understand that I truly own this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I own a lot of other things. I own everything that happens to me. I own the results are my results. So even though there are things I can't control, just like in business, there are things you can't control. If I, if I recognize that I do own what I do, how, how I react and the decisions that I make, I have a lot of control over what happens next. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, as we were talking, as you were talking, I was just thinking, you know, that that goes for whether it's in, in business, mm-hmm. right, you know, your everyday life, but it also goes to the mindset of right the community in which I'm involved in, community which you're involved in, disability community, is very easy to let things happen to you, right? As is, is 
I didn't get the job because X, Y, Z, or I, this happened because of when you start taking ownership and saying, well, how, what transpired in that engagement or that interaction? What did I contribute to it? How could I do something better? How can I work a little bit harder to ensure, uh, you know, success, right? That, that I'm showing up every day in, entirely and being able to give back and, and help yourself or your organization or whatever the, the thing is you're engaged with to have a, a more positive outcome. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we have as, as, as people who employ other people, let's say, or as a society that builds transportation networks or sidewalks or whatever you want to name, we have a responsibility to create an environment where people can play and play fairly and where disability doesn't cause people to be eliminated from competition. But or I should say, and people who have disabilities, they have the ability and, and I think they have the responsibility mm -hmm. to take ownership of how they play. So th there's responsibility that goes in both directions, but as individuals with or without disabilities, we own what we do, what we say, and what we choose to think. For too long, I, as a person who had a disability, walked around with what some people call limiting beliefs. The belief that, for example, some people won't hire me because I have a disability. Or the belief that I will never be able to be super rich because I'm blind. Those are just beliefs. They're not, there's no truth to them. Mm -hmm. They are just beliefs. And when we understand that our beliefs as individuals are simply our beliefs. It's a story we told ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're going to play to that story. So what I choose to do now is, is to try not to tell myself any of those stories. Right. Now I just put in effort and see what happens. Awesome. Um, that great mindset and, you know, great conversation about ownership. You know, we can sit and say, I, I want to do something. I want to participate in, in sports or participate in the community. I want to mm -hmm. attend an event. And then you throw in the butt right. and it's where, where do you, as where do you have participation in that? You got to show up. Yep. You got to make that effort. You got to provide input to what would make it better for you going forward or whatever it is, or the community. And that's the same, whether it's, you know, public transportation, your environment at, at work, whatever, mm -hmm. and, and in life. And it's, it's really important that, that you're engaged and, uh, you know, self-advocating and working towards a, a solution to that. Yep. So we started touching a little bit just uh, in the last moment here about uh, people with disabilities. And, and we recently celebrated the 30th anniversary of the ADA. Mm -hmm. ADA has a big part to do with transportation. Uh, we talked about paratransit and, and other modes of transportation. Where do you see things that might be missing from the ADA in terms of transit improvements can be made. So it's important to remember that the ADA was adopted in 1990, so 32 years ago and counting. It represents a snapshot in time. And what I mean by that is the technology, the requirements of the ADA were written based on what people knew in 1990. And this is nowhere more true than transportation. So 
when the ADA, for example, talks about, and I'll give you a real simple example, it talks about the size of a wheelchair lift. And it has very specific rules for how large it must be and how much weight it, it has to carry. Everything has changed since then. Most buses don't use lifts anymore. They have ramps, for example. Wheelchairs' sizes have changed. <clears throat> and so what was written in the law isn't entirely relevant. Paratransit would be another example. This, the law required a, an advanced reservation service because at that time we didn't have technology. We didn't have GPS mm-hmm. technology readily available. The law basically required us to do advanced reservations so that people, human people, would have time to schedule trips and put them on routes and organize them. We have technology now. Just look at, look at Uber or Lyft or mm-hmm. some of the other companies that can do this in real time. So I think what's missing is that our society has changed. Things have sped up. We're much more digital. And the law doesn't reflect some of those changes. And I think one of the things that we as practitioners in the industry of transportation have to do is recognize that we have better technology, better tools. We're smarter. We need to, we need to advance transportation ourselves because the law doesn't require it, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. Interesting. Yeah. Um, certainly as technology advances, I, I was just trying to think about, you know, the things that you were just saying and how technology advances, you know, we, we, we think we're solving a solution and we put uh, something into place, uh, a policy, whatever it may be, a law, and we think we've solved the problem. But as time goes on, technology advances, those things don't get updated or often looked at or revised. And those things continue to create barriers for people with disabilities or just in transportation alone. On your website, uh, accessibleavenue.net, you talk a lot about the challenges. We were just talking about some of the challenges that people face, right? Uh, the, the stresses and things like that. What other, are there other challenges or barriers that you see in, in the transit industry or transportation industry that can make improvement for people with disability? So different people have different challenges. There's not a one-size-fits-all answer. For some people there are still basic accessibility challenges within transportation. As we are shifting toward an on-demand approach to paratransit, getting people with disabilities picked up at home and getting them directly to where they need to go, a lot of those services are provided by third parties who contract with public agencies. And some of those services are struggling with basic accessibility. So having vehicles that can transport people who are in wheelchairs or other mobility devices is a pretty significant barrier. We have challenges with digital accessibility. So we design an app or we put up a website and people with disabilities aren't able in all cases to use it because it doesn't work with the technology that they use to read what's on a web page or a mobile app. So those are some basic accessibility needs that are still challenges for some. Uh, for many people, uh, it is knowing what's available and and how it fits. Uh, transportation is is provided 
Most public transportation is provided by government agencies. Uh, There are transportation programs that are provided that are specific to certain programs. They are provided, for example, if you uh, have health care insurance or if you have uh, access, uh, the health care, the service that that's provided by Arizona's, uh, if you have Medicare, you, the, all of these different programs have different rules. They have different providers sometimes. They have different ways to reach the service, whether you call a number or access a website. And people don't know about all of the things that are out there, and they're very hard to keep track of. And there's no central one place where you can go and find all of it. So that's a challenge. It's just educating mm-hmm. people on what is out in the community. And then the other thing, and this is a little bit different, is the life choices that people make. Sometimes people will choose, for example, to live in a cheap neighborhood where the, where there's not a lot of public transportation, or they'll pick a rural area where it's hard to get to places, or they'll live in a, a neighborhood that doesn't have sidewalks. So it's it's helping people make choices in their lives or, or finding jobs in areas where there's public transit if they don't drive. It's helping people make those choices so that they can can have an easier time. And my wife and I, for example, we're not drivers. And when we moved to Phoenix, every decision that we made about where we live was based on the fact that we don't drive. And we need to recognize that there are certain things that our neighborhood needs, because if if it doesn't have those things, we are not going to be we're not going to have the quality of life that we want. We're not going to have the autonomy that we want, or we're going to have to pay a fortune in transportation costs. So, so it's really helping people to make those decisions. Hmm. Really interesting. Um, that really made me think about, you're talking about decision-making, mm-hmm. you know, from, from the, the writer's perspective and looking at where you live, uh, what's around you in terms of support, uh, or just daily living, I, I call support, right? Your grocery mm-hmm. stores, your sure. doctors, banks, et cetera. As Arizona's, you know, a, a flat state and lots of, you know, at least the Phoenix area. Uh, so it makes it, in terms of mobility, uh, fairly easy to get around, whether you're walking and, and such. But uh, temperature-wise, it doesn't always, is it, not always the best in terms of uh, if you don't drive and waiting for, for transit, public transportation or other modes of transportation. How is your your blindness um, in terms impacted or helped you in your industry and in your career? So I would say early in my career, being blind slowed my progress down. When I started my career, there were very, very few people, and there still are, but there's more now than there used to be, there are very few people with disabilities working in the transit industry. I mean, the transit industry is people who drive and maintain buses and who dispatch buses and who draw maps that buses operate on. And so it's a very visually oriented profession. (laughs) So being blind was a distraction for people. And I remember when I was starting to develop a, a national reputation, I would be invited to speak at our at industry conferences, and I would be on panels with other people, all of whom are not disabled, travel with a guide dog. I'd give my presentation, 
and others would give theirs. And imagine a room with a panel of three people and we all talk and it's at the end and everybody's getting up and they're getting their stuff. And a few people are coming up to talk to the speakers. And I would be hearing conversations on either side of me about between people in the audience and the people who are speaking, and they would be saying things like, wow, that was a great presentation. I learned this. What do you think of that? Here's what we do at our agency. And I would be having different conversations. My conversations would be, wow, that's a cute dog. What's its Hmm. name? How often do you feed it? How do you know when it has to go to the bathroom? Who grooms that dog for you? And I remember just being absolutely frustrated because I had so much to share that was relevant, Mm -hmm. and we were having conversations about blindness that had nothing to do with my work. So that was early, and it still happens sometimes, but now it's, it's better because I think the industry is starting to become more open and recognize that that people, everybody has something to offer. And if we can just listen to what people are saying, we can, we can learn more. What I'm seeing now, it's kind of cool, is I'm seeing that people uh, who have, uh, you know, within our industry are starting to recognize, and there's a push for equity in general across mm-hmm. the industry. So we're talking about people uh, people in different uh, communities, people of color, uh, people who have different uh, gender identities, people who have different lifestyles, they all have something different to contribute. And I will tell you, when I started, I tried to be, to, to focus not at all on my own blindness. I tried to minimize it in every conversation. I tried to minimize it in every interaction. I tried never to bring it up. I tried never to ask for anything special. And now I recognize that my blindness is actually part of my story. It's part Mm -hmm. of what makes me uniquely qualified uh, within my industry to do certain things. Nobody that I know of except for me has the story that I have. And and part of why I'm such an expert in, in transportation for people with disabilities is I know the industry stuff and I also know the life stuff mm-hmm. and it makes me uniquely qualified to speak on certain topics. And, and once I was able to embrace that and actually not run from it, I actually became a much better professional, a much better speaker. Uh, and I had a lot more to offer. Wow. That's so powerful. Um, thank you for sharing that, Ron, because I think oftentimes we look at is in in society or even in business right is is don't talk about the disability don't treat me as though i have a disability for a lot of people that disability uh, my blindness for example is is part of who i am mm-hmm. and it it has helped shape me into the person that i am the leader that i am and and my perspectives and my conversations around it um, is again uh, is mine and as you said at the top of the show really is about owning it Mm-hmm. And having others recognize or ex- and accept you for who you are um, as a person who is blind, as a per- uh, as a professional in this industry that has something to contribute, and being able to see that whole person in in an employee or in a per- you know uh, an environment in a conversation on the street is having those engagements. Uh, it's not something to be 
I don't think feared in this, in a sense of having those conversations and, and being able to allow you or myself or anybody else to, to be able to share that experience to help move the conversation or move uh, an industry forward. Yeah. I mean, I think there are certain challenges in an, a work setting about those conversations, but, and, and we'll, t- I think probably talk a little bit more about that as we go forward. But I, I do think that that it is hard to start those conversations. And that's why I think it's really important that for those of us who work with or mentor people with disabilities in a professional setting, one of our responsibilities is to help them recognize they probably have to broach it first mm-hmm. because employers are conditioned right. never to ask personal questions. Mm-hmm and never to go outside of certain lines because we want to have a fair workplace. We want to respect people's personal boundaries. We want to focus on the work. Uh, but I think sometimes those issues are still there. People have those questions. They have the uncertainty. So we have to teach people with disabilities in the workplace to bring those issues forward themselves so that we can demystify them and help folks understand what do we need as employees and and what are we able to do? And it's okay to have some questions because we're still learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And in no way, certainly there are laws to protect people, uh, right? People with disabilities and other um, protected classes in the sure. sense of, of laws. And absolutely, I'm not advocating to to go against that. But it's it's to be able to recognize the the whole person. Uh, and you're were, you were talking about mentoring. Let's let's talk a little bit about that for uh, a couple of moments. Uh, you're talking about how you got in the industry, um, how uh, you are uh, trying to grow and, and build your organization, um, and you're now seen as a, a leader within the industry and having different conversations, as we were just talking about. What advice would you give to somebody else, uh, maybe who is has a disability, that may want to get into the the transportation or transit industry? Mm-hmm. Most of this advice, by the way, is the same advice that I would give to any person, disabled or not, in in regardless of industry. First off, understand your mission, your personal mission in life, knowing why you want to do what you want to do will help you identify where you are able to most contribute. Because I found this for myself, once I understood that I was not in my own field for an, because it was an accident and that this was really important to me personally and why it was important, my work actually got easier and the product in, improved and the productivity increased. So understanding your mission uh, is powerful, uh, and and because it'll direct you towards certain jobs, and they will be jobs that you enjoy and that you're good at. I would add to that understanding how your disability can be a strength in the job. Understanding that as a person who has a disability, whether it's blindness, low vision, or some other type of disability, you have life experiences that teach you things that other people don't maybe learn that give you resilience that other people may not have. And if you're able to speak to those things, and if you're able to demonstrate those things, 
those are those are advantages for you as that relate to a job. So it's tying those things to to a job specifically. And I talked a little bit about paratransit for myself, being able to speak to the realities of what it's like to wait for a trip and you have no idea when the vehicle is going to show up, how long the trip is going to take, whether or not you're going to be to work on time, the uncertainty and emotional angst that that creates. When you are able as an individual to feel it, and I was, it forces you or at least gives you the opportunity to think differently about how you would deliver and design that service. So mm-hmm. I'm passionate about delivering excellent service because I understand at a physical and emotional level what it's like when the service isn't good. And that's a superpower. And people tell me, you know, you're very empathetic. It's like, yeah, it's not really empathy. I've actually done it. So it's empathy mm-hmm. is when you are able to put yourself in someone else's well, shoes. Mm-hmm. Those are my shoes. Mm-hmm. I know what it's like. And so that makes me, it makes it a little easier for me to get there. It makes it easier for me when customers are screaming at me, and I've been there too, <laughs> to, to understand and to not take it personally because I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so very true uh, and powerful comments there uh, about having the experience and bringing in that history, the, the knowledge, the firsthand knowledge. And being able to utilize all your other training, all your other, whether it's college, education, past work experience, and bringing these two things together and helping formulate a solution to a problem, although it's on a, on a micro level, right? Because it's you, but you're also solving at the macro level for others. And bringing that passion to the industry is, is you can hear it in your voice yeah. um, and you, you can feel it in the room when you're talking. So mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate that and uh, bringing that uh, to light as we're having this conversation. Where, what uh, some of the things that for, from your perspective and things that you've done, uh, Ron, to help you uh, really kind of get to that point or, or get, have you used mentors? Do you have other people? Uh, if you were going to give it that advice to, to maybe someone else coming in, how would they seek that out or find that? So I do a lot of that. I, I read. So I, re- I read a lot of books around, I, I hate to say self-development because it sounds really trite, but I, I spend a lot of time reading books that I can use the information to help me improve how I handle certain situations. Uh, I've read books on goal setting and on how I manage habits. Uh, and, and I would say that building strong personal habits is probably the most important thing that, you know, tactical thing that I've done to be successful. I am in a couple of different accountability groups where I have other business professionals, entrepreneurs who are on completely different journeys. But but we know that when you have people that are that are also on a journey and you're holding each other accountable and asking each other to the questions of what are you going to do today and then tomorrow did you do it and if not why not and how can we mm-hmm. support you creating that environment of accountability of of camaraderie uh, is super powerful 
Um, I journal. I write things down every day. I spend a little bit of time just reflecting on what went well, what didn't, what can I do better? What's the plan for today? What do I need to accomplish by the time I go to bed tonight? Those kinds of activities have really helped me to take my philosophical kind of learning and put it into a box and into a structure that I can that I can use it to solve you know, the things that come up in running a business or in a project or in a, a transportation mm-hmm. question. Sure, right? It, it's taking care of yourself, right? A lot of it is um, and improving yourself. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it when you're talking about that is because ultimately what you're doing is you're bringing that sense uh, well, your experience, your knowledge, and your confidence really to the table. And when you have that and you bring and you're able to engage with other people and, and be empathetic to the situation, you really can grow and foster those relationships, right? And help that individual, that customer, help them solve the solution would be part of that to, to help them achieve whatever those goals and that they have set forth for their organization or project. Yeah, I think about it this way. So Stephen Covey talks about sharpening the saw. We can be as philosophically cool and, and as knowledgeable as we want to be, but what gets customers to give you money and then to come back and give you more is that you deliver the goods. I need to be I need to be effective, I need to be smart, I need to be sharp, and I need to deliver. And if I don't sharpen myself as a person, I can't deliver the goods. And it's just that simple. I mean, it, there's this is just about being on my game. And I'm not on my game if I'm not, if I'm not practicing. Athletes work out for a reason. If they don't work out, they fall out of shape, they fall out of practice and they don't perform well and they don't win. It's just that simple. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that, Ron. Mm-hmm. So we're getting, we're getting close to, to the end here of our, our conversation. Mm-hmm. And I, I really felt, uh, I've learned a lot uh, about not just you, not about um, you know, the transit industry, but really about the, the passion and solutions empowerment in a sense, really, of how to, uh, from a business perspective, to grow, uh, grow that business, grow yourself, um, and to provide a solution. So it's been a great conversation. You know, in thinking about this and from a business perspective, right, our audience, uh, some our professionals, leaders, executives uh, in the community, what kind of advice would you uh, give them when it comes to looking about creating new opportunities mm-hmm. for uh, college students, other professionals who are blind, vision impaired, or those that are just coming at out of school and looking to get into a career, what kind of advice would you give them? So first is a commitment to creating an inclusive and accessible culture and, and an accessible workplace. And there are technical things that need to be done to make that happen. So it starts there. I'm making a decision that if I buy a piece of software to run my business, I'm going to make sure that that it is digitally that it works, that it's accessible for a person who's blind or visually impaired 
who needs to use assistive technology. And, I, and that may mean that I go hire somebody to assess my workplace. And I know that those are services that many places provide. So it starts there. I'm, I'm going to be accessible. I am not going to have any tool in my workplace that someone can't use. And if there's a tool that I can't make accessible, I'm going to find a way to work around it. So it's that commitment. Second, when encountering a person with a disability, say, for example, an applicant or someone walks into an interview, uh, now that we get to do that again, mm-hmm. and it's, it's changing the question. Instead of asking the, the yes or no question, can this person do this job? Flip that question and make it a how can this person do that job? Don't, how questions lead to creative responses. Yes or no questions lead to yes or no. Mm-hmm. How says, okay, let's think about it. What, how is an assumed yes? I'm assuming you can do it. How can you do it? Mm-hmm. Walk me through what that looks like. That's a, that is a better question. Third, expect all people, ex- expect all people to perform at a high level. You talked about it early about low expectation. Mm-hmm. Low expectation and giving people grace because they have a disability is absolutely the worst mm-hmm. thing that you can do. Even though it seems humane and kind, it's not the right answer. If you set high expectations and give people the tools, they will either get there or they will not. And I've been in a situation where I've had an employee who had a disability who wasn't performing, and I gave that person absolutely no grace. Once I understood that this was Mm performance-related, it was not about the tools or the technology or the accessibility or anything else. It was about them. That was it, just like any other employee. Mm -hmm. Finally, and I know we're short on time, make it your goal as a leader to see all of your people be successful and thrive. uh, Because if they are, then you're successful as a leader. As a leader of a company, your job is not to do the work. Your job is to have people who thrive and do the work because you'll be successful when that happens. And when you have a culture where people thrive, that and, and when that culture is inclusive and includes people with disabilities, they thrive too. Mm-hmm. And that that and help help advocate for better transportation so they can get to work. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect ending to that. Thank you, Ron. It it is so crucial. Um, you know, setting the expectation, setting high expectations. It's really easy if you set a low expectation for someone to meet that that really low expectation. Uh, you're going to be a a challenge because you can't get to work on time or I'm going to have to do X, Y, Z to make you get there. You're going to see that person. You're setting that person up for failure. If you you set them up for success by saying, these are the expectations, I'm going to provide those tools to you. Uh, Just as I'm giving it to anybody else in this organization, uh, if you don't perform, then you're not performing. It's not it had to do with the disability. So, so great advice there. Thank you for sharing that. For our audience members, how would uh, they contact you and Accessible Avenue? So like everybody in the world, we have a website. It is accessibleavenue.net. And that's all one word, accessibleavenue.net. 
I think that's probably the easiest way. We do have a phone number. It's on the website and um, I can share that. It's 602-957-1852. So those are the best ways to reach us and love to talk to anybody who wants to talk about making transportation better. When you go to our website, we've got free consultations for folks uh, and we're happy to talk to individuals or organizations uh, that are focused on trying to make transportation better and more accessible for people with disabilities. Fantastic. And Ron, I know you're on you're on LinkedIn. Oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely. So you can connect with you on LinkedIn, um, often sharing um, great insights, great articles, um, and, and sharing other content in related to transit um, and transportation for people with disabilities and just transit in general. Uh, so great, great articles. I enjoy reading those. I, I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. And um, so we're going to go ahead and wrap up our show today. I want to first uh, thank Phoenix Business Radio, our sponsor for today's show, Arizona Industries for the Blind as well. And I just want to say that uh, with the right technology, the right training, and the right attitude, people who are blind or vision impaired, people with disabilities can compete and be successful in the workplace. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time with your host, David Steinmetz. Be sure to subscribe to Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time on your favorite podcast platform and tune in live on Phoenix Business Radio X every third Friday at 1 p.m. We hope you feel inspired by today's conversation and maybe we've even sparked a new idea or opportunity.